The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus came down with the twelve and stood on a stretch of level ground with a great crowd of his disciples and a large number of the people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon. And raising his eyes toward his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you who are now hungry, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who are now weeping, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude and insult you, and denounce your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice and leap for joy on that day. Behold, your reward will be great in heaven. For their ancestors treated the prophets in the same way. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are filled now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will grieve and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for their ancestors treated the false prophets in this way. The Gospel of the Lord. There's a saying that each priest preaches only one homily. I was just telling the RCIA this. And um, the funny thing, I guess, at least a big component of mine, if you haven't noticed over the last year and a half, is that not focusing on the earth and starting to focus on, on a heavenly reality. But the good news is, is the scriptures totally agree with me, right? So like, listen, just listen to this again in the beginning of the book of the prophet Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the one who trusts in human beings and seeks his strength in flesh, whose heart turns away from the Lord. This part's even better. He is like a barren bush in the desert that enjoys no change of season, but stands in a lava waste, a salt and empty earth. So that's what happens when you put your eggs into the basket of the earth instead of heaven right there. So we'll start there. Okay, so one of the things (laughs) that's so important is that it's hard. I get it. And this is why Jesus's teaching in the gospel is so, is so real to us. And so the one that we hear more often is like the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew, where we hear the Beatitudes in, you know, slightly different way, rearranged, but, but, but lots of the same similarities right there. Is he's trying to get us to realize that all of the folks, often when we get used to something earthly that's really good, it can become a gigantic distraction. Um, one of the things I was mentioning to uh, the folks at the Spanish Mass last night is that my family was, both sides of my family are from southern Italy. There's only one reason that they left. They were like starving and poor. <laughs> you know, it's like why a lot of immigrants leave. It was not a good situation where they were. And so they left to go find something greater. But then the greater temptation is often those who are poor have never had a lot of the earthly comforts. So there's an easier reliance on the providence of God because there's not that many things in the way between you and God a lot of the time. But, but the great worry and the great temptation is that as we acquire things of this earth and we get used to them, sometimes they create this great illusion that like, I'm pretty happy with this stuff. 
And so we start to rely on the stuff, and we start to, start to spend tons of time with the stuff and using the stuff, and, and we really spend very little time thinking of heaven. If each one of us does an examination, looks at our day, and the time we spent thinking about godly and heavenly things compared to the time that we spend, you know, doing sort of earthly things, sometimes there might be like a big out-of-whack balance. Some of you have a pretty good balance. It, it kind of just depends on our state in life, but, it, but, but that's an important one. And so all this hinges on the second reading. The second reading is about the resurrection. And so I think a handful of you have at least heard this story, especially if you were confirmed recently, because I've only really gotten to do one round of confirmations because of the pandemic. Normally that goes to the bishop, right? But, uh, but I got the lucky draw because of the pandemic. I got to confirm, so that's kind of unique. But uh, when I did that, one of the things I told is I told this story. So I was the confirmation sponsor for, for a boy named Jeffrey that I used to coach at the MAC for climbing. And so we went to dinner at his grandparents' and parents' house before the confirmation mass, which was at the cathedral. And so I was ordained a deacon at this point. And so it was myself, my friend Drew, and then Jeffrey in the car on our way there. And for those of you that know that area around the cathedral, there's like 405 is right there, and then the school is right there, and then the parish. And so we were right at that weird intersection, that light right by like Ace Hardware and Chown Lighting. And for those of you who know that area, because the cathedral is my, my personal parish, there, there's a lot of homeless folks wandering around there. So when you wear a collar, you have all kinds of interesting interactions with, with a lot of different people, right? And so I'm just sitting there in the driver's seat, not really thinking anything at the moment. And my friend Drew, who's from South Carolina, has like a little bit of a drawl. He's just like, oh no, man, she saw you. And I was just like, and I had, I had no idea what he was talking about for a second. And then I turned and looked and, and a wide-eyed lady starts to just walk out into the middle of traffic, walks out into the middle of traffic, steps directly in front of my car, in front of the hood of the car. And she just spreads her hands out like this and says, resurrection. And then she just walks and goes on her way. And we all just looked at each other and we're like, well, that was pretty unusual. <laughs> it's just like we're, nobody knew what to think of that. And so then we get there into the cathedral. And so Archbishop Sample is giving his homily. And he's giving the homily. And he tends to like walk up and down the aisles, I think maybe purposely to make the confirmandi nervous, right? You know, the bishop is walking. He's asking them questions, which they hate even more. And so he's asking all kinds of questions. He said, there's one reason that we're all here tonight. There's only one reason. What's the reason that we're all here? And a couple of brave souls raise their hand and get it wrong. And then one more brave soul raises their hand. And like, you hear this like tiny little whisper, the resurrection? Yes, the resurrection. The resurrection is the one reason that we're all here. And then like, I look at Drew and Drew looks at me and I look at Jeffrey and Jeffrey looks back at me and like, we were like, that lady was like a street prophet. <laughs> I, it's just like the craziest thing in the world that the one point of the homily was the one thing that this lady yelled at us at the top of her lungs. So that was just a really, but, there, but she was right and so was Archbishop Sample. The resurrection, that is the reason that we're all in this church right now. If it were not that, you know, there'd be no reason to be a Catholic. There'd be no reason to be a Christian because all of the promises of Jesus hinge on this fact of eternal life, about focusing on a life that is not in earthly existence. And he says it in a lot of ways. 
you know, when he's talking to Pontius Pilate, my kingdom is not here. My kingdom is not of this world. And so he's constantly talking about that to different people. And so all of these people know Jesus. Many people follow him. Hundreds, thousands of people are following him. And hundreds of people witness his death on the cross. They see him. They're like, he was crucified. They're sure he's dead. Like, there's no doubt about it for those who were there. But then, three days later, he rises. And he doesn't just appear to the twelve. He doesn't just appear to that broader 70 disciples that we often hear about. But he appears to hundreds of people. And they see the person that they are absolutely sure is dead, alive again, with also the scars of his destruction from the crucifixion. And that's such a big deal to people that they wrote it down in this book and like passed it down all these generations and tons of brave men and women died for this, to give us the gospel, to give us that story of Jesus' resurrection because it passes on the hope that we will all be like him again. For those of you who've been to a funeral mass recently, one of the things in the Eucharistic prayer is that, that we will be like him for all ages. We say divinize, that we become Christ-like, that we become just like Christ by being in his presence one day in heaven. And so, how do we do that? Well, that's a big part of what Jesus' preaching is about. So, everything that we see in the, ten, in, in the Old Testament is just a shadow of something far greater that we end up seeing in the New Testament when Jesus takes the scene. You know, the Ten Commandments are largely written in like a via negativa way. Don't do this. Don't do this. There's a couple things like, yes, honor your father and your mother, but don't do this and don't do this. You know, things like that. But Jesus comes and he's like, do this. Live like this. And there's something really unique that you don't see quite in Luke's account that you do see in Matthew's account on the Sermon on the Mount. There's something he does that's pretty profound, and it means a lot more to the people of that day. He sits down. Why does he do that? Because that's what teachers did. They got in the midst of their students, and a sign of their authority is they would, they would sit and teach from the seated position. For those of you who've had the privilege to go to like one of these really big masses, something like an ordination or another big mass with, with the bishop, with the archbishop, is you'll notice this. They'll either bring the cathedra, so the chair, what, where we get the word cathedral, they'll either bring it down in front of the altar or they'll put this fald stool in front of the altar. And the bishop sits with the crozier and the mitre on his head and he preaches from the seated position, commemorating that same idea that he's actually preaching with authority. So when that happened, when Jesus sits down amongst them, that's, that's a big deal. They understand that there's an authoritative thing that he's actually telling them at that moment. And what he does is he flips everything around, right? Like instead of saying what not to do, he's telling everybody what they, what they ought to do. And so the word that they use in Greek is makarios. Makarios is, you know, sometimes people will say happy, which is like the worst version of it. Yeah, that's, that's kind of lame. We would be more like the blessed or the fortunate. The fortunate. The fortunate. Who are the fortunate? The fortunate are those that live in the will of God. One of the worst translations that got corrected later in the day back in the, the King James Version, and we know it's sometimes commemorated in song, right? It's like, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. 
No, bad translation. We, we commemorate it in our Gloria. Peace on earth to men of good will. That's like those that do the will of God, those that walk in his path. Peace on earth to those people. Not just like peace on earth to everybody who does whatever the heck they want. You know, it's just like it doesn't really work like that. And so we remember one of the great things that Jesus says. He says that there is no greater gift than to lay down your life for your friends. But then we usually stop there. And it's beautiful even up to there. But then what's the very next thing he says? You are my friends if you do what I command you. So he's asking something of us. There has to be an actual genuine response. And the reason that this was so crazy for the people of the day is because the only people that were blessed were like, you have to think about the worldview there, the Greek gods. Those were the only people who were blessed. Why were they blessed? Because they were, they were considered to be divinity and they weren't suffering living here on earth. They didn't have to deal with the sufferings of earth. So they were the, they were the blessed because they were gods. Well, of course, we believe Jesus is pe- preaching to people that were largely in a pagan world. He's like, nope, it's me. <laughs> I'm the God. None of those people are real. And then, of course, St. Paul does the same thing when he goes to Athens. And then what ends up happening is that he's like, you are blessed if you live in my will, if you live like this. You know, a lot of people are going to be satisfied in this earth. He says, but if their satisfaction ends when they die on this earth, then they'll never be truly satisfied because true satisfaction rests in me. The blessed rests in following me. So our whole life, what we're trying so hard to do, and I I get it, I totally get it. I mean, because there's a million distractions in our life all over the place. But we're trying to make each day holier, closer to thinking about God. Just a little bit more today and a little bit more tomorrow and a little bit more the next day. And that's exactly what the saints did. That's who who they were. They were people that lived so much heaven while they were on earth that by the time that they died, they had so little earth left on their body, they went to heaven. They were living a greater heavenly reality on earth than they were living an earthly one. That's the huge pivotal transition point that we're really all looking for. And so often we have to look at like, what what are the obstacles? Like what's standing in my way? From, from doing that. And, and it's not, you know, Jesus doesn't say it's impossible for the rich man to enter heaven. He said it's hard, though. <laughs> you know, it's hard because there's a lot of things kind of vying, you know, vying for our attention. And any times we're, we're even just generally comfortable, there's enough things vying for our attention. You know, we think about that time of pandemic, right? We're all closed in on ourselves and things, and everything's all automated and stuff like that. You're like, I don't even want to get out of my house anymore. You know, that's horrible. You know, like that's a really, really bad place to be. And so I'll remind you what I said last week is that we remember God, his love is a constant source. Like it's like sunlight shining on all of you right now, or at least you guys over here and stuff. And so the sunlight is shining in a constant way, always. But sometimes, not God, he's immutable. He doesn't change at all. But sometimes we shield ourselves from it. Sometimes we use our hand. 
sometimes we like really cover ourselves up. And if things get really dark, we like retreat way, way back into the cave. And we're living in total darkness. But we try to step into his light as much as we possibly can. We are literally children of, of the light. That's what we commemorate in our baptism with the baptismal candle. You know, we receive him here. You know, we receive Christ in the Eucharist, and then we are his light to other people. So that's our goal. It's just a little bit better than last time, a little bit holier tomorrow than, than yesterday. And if we keep moving closer to that goal, but again, when we fail, everybody who has the humility to admit that they have failed and confess that to the Lord can, can be forgiven. He's given that authority to men to forgive his people so that they can be back in his company again. So he's given us everything we need. There's nothing lacking that we still need to, to get to heaven. Everything he left with us is all that we need to get there. So let's do it. Let's get there. God bless you all.